This is episode number two on the Follow Your Flow podcast. Now I have been sitting on this interview for quite some time now, so I am super excited to be sharing it with you today. I interviewed Jess probably about 18 months ago now when I first had the inspiration for the podcast. I read an article that she had written about her experience with PCOS and I just knew I had to interview her because more women needed to hear about her experience and how she dealt with it because it's it was very refreshing to hear from a woman who has not let her diagnosis define her and or become a victim in that and in this case you'll hear about Jess's approach to her own healing which was very much centered around self-care and making this her foundation in life rather than just that tick box exercise that we can very often get caught in when it comes to self-care. You definitely want to listen all the way to the very end where she really brings it home. It's an awesome interview and Jess just has lots of richness in her experience to share with us as women. Whether you have a PCOS diagnosis or not, I'm sure you'll get a lot out of listening to this episode. Always remember that the information in these podcasts is not to replace your personal medical advice. Always seek the advice of your medical practitioner or your health practitioner before making any changes to your healthcare plan. All right, let's get over to episode number two. Enjoy. You're listening to Follow Your Flow, your podcast on all things women's health, menstruation and fertility. Your host, fertility awareness educator, women's health practitioner and lover of all things health and healing, brings her wealth of experience along with the real experiences of women and the expertise of health professionals. If you're looking for real and insightful conversations with real women along with inspiring and lasting ways to improve your health, then you've come to the right place. Here's your host on Follow Your Flow, Sarah Harris. Today I'm going to be interviewing Jessica Halleck. I do know Jess personally and came across one of her recent articles where she talks about her experience with PCOS. So for those of you who are unaware of PCOS, I'll give a little short introduction. Polycystic ovarian syndrome is what that stands for and is when a woman fails to ovulate or experiences consistent delays in ovulation. The diagnosis is actually a little bit more complicated than simply having an ultrasound, which can often be a way that um, many women are diagnosed and often misdiagnosed. The ultrasound shows that there are multiple cysts on the ovaries. So there's a number of other symptoms that generally go hand in hand. So we talked to Jess about that and what her experience was. Over also be determined, the diagnosis will be determined by the, the root cause of the disorder. Studies have also shown that women without PCOS also have cysts on their ovaries at times if they're not ovulating for one reason or another, uh, which is why women can often be misdiagnosed. You know, they have multiple cysts on their ovaries at one point or over a few months of their cycle when they haven't been ovulating. And then later on, a few months down the track, they can be completely clear. So ultrasound is, is by itself on, on its own not enough to diagnose a woman with PCOS. And if a woman is not ovulating, 
that means that she's not going to be making the necessary hormones. So she's not going to be making estrogen and progesterone. And these two hormones are particularly important for the whole body, function of the whole body. And it's not just about the reproductive system. So if, if a woman's not making estrogen and progesterone, there's, there's hundreds of other functionalities in the body that these hormones are used for as well as her also having high testosterone and the imbalance in these hormones can cause a number of other symptoms in her body. So in order to treat PCOS effectively, there needs to be proper investigation into why it's there in the first place. And this is coming from a physical perspective. And we'll talk to Jess a little bit more about her understanding of PCOS from a much broader perspective than just the physical so it could be, you know, say coming off the pill or is it high insulin for, for another woman or is it other inflammation factors that could be involved as well. So one thing to keep in mind, uh, what I said before with PCOS is it's actually a whole body condition, even though it might sound like it's a condition of just the ovaries themselves. It's actually the whole body. The ovaries are like the, the end result um, or the effect of what, everything else that's going on in the body. And typically doctors will prescribe the pill to, to regulate periods when a woman does have PCOS. So this is typically the medical approach and the medical treatment for polycystic ovarian syndrome. But it should be, it should be noted first up that the pill does not actually regulate periods. It can't regulate periods. It actually suppresses and blacks out the hormonal system in various different ways so that you actually stop experiencing the cyclical nature of your periods. So you're not ovulating. You're not actually bleeding. Even though you do have a withdrawal bleed, it's actually not a true period. It's just a release of the the buildup of the endometrial lining. It's not actually, there's no triggering of any hormonal responses or releases. It's, it's simply a manufactured bleed. So we will delve into that aspect and the pill probably in more detail in another podcast. But for now... I'm really excited to welcome Jess. Thanks for agreeing to come on the show. You're very welcome, Sarah. It's lovely to be here. So can we start with, because I read your article, which was hugely inspiring, and I see a lot of women in the clinic with PCOS and um, they have very similar experiences to what you've experienced. And you're one of the ones who, one of the ones, or, um, you know, a woman who did go on the pill when you were quite young. And um, can we talk a little bit about that? Maybe even just start with your first experience of, of menstruation and how, how that was for you and what led you then to, to start the pill at age 15? Yeah, sure. So I, I was one of, the, one of the first in my sort of smaller social peer group to get her period, which at the time for me, I hadn't been kind of educated and confirmed in what a period period truly is. Um, so for me, it was, I just saw the period as me being different to my friends. I was 11 years old when I got my period and most of my friends got theirs around, around the 13, 14, 15 mark. So that, that was like quite a few years ahead of them. And I kept it very secretive. Um, I cried the day that I got my period and I didn't go to school for two days. So I was just learning how to manage it. And uh, I remember my father came home and he had a big bunch of flowers for me because he was just overjoyed and, you know, he wanted to congratulate me in a way. Um, very sweet. But I was just mortified. My sister happened to have 
a friend over that day after school and she thought it was my birthday and now it was, you know, public conversation at the dinner table. Um, and yeah, there was very little celebration or, um, welcoming me into what a period now offers me every month. And so, yeah, I mean, that was kind of my process with initially getting my period at 11. And then from there, I recall getting it every month, but it was never, it was never on, on the dot with 28 days or whatever, you know, your cycle might be. It was always a bit of a, a guess. Um, but it was, it was coming. It took a few months to find its, itself a rhythm, but I, within every, you know, four to six weeks, I would usually get a period from then. And then I started dating my first high school boyfriend. And my, a lot of my friends were on the pill around age 14, 13, 14, predominantly for skin issues. Um, they weren't actually sexually active yet, but they had quite intense uh, acne or other skin issues. And their GP had prescribed the pill to, to manage skin, um, I'm assuming, due to the hormone balance that it mm. supposedly does. But... That wasn't the reason why I went on the pill. I went on the pill because I became sexually active with my first boyfriend. I would have been, I was with him for four years or something. And, um, I went on the pill because I wanted to stop using other contraceptions such as condoms. And, um, I was with, you know, he was a long-term boyfriend as such. And yeah, that's when I started the pill and I stayed on it through the entire relationship pretty much. So. Yeah, and we broke up in my late late teens, and then I suddenly realised that I didn't have a menstrual cycle. It had gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I was oblivious really to what my cycle offered me, and even the health benefits of it, not just the energetic clearing that it can support with. And it, it just wasn't it wasn't factored as a primary importance to me. It was like what's important right now is that. Is that I can be on the. It was there was almost like there wasn't a um, an attraction or more of a focus on being up with the times, being cool. I was, you know, had my boyfriend. I was sexually active and I was on the pill, and that made me. That was more important to me than hey, how's my body communicating to me and how can the pill support? How can the my period um, support me every month? And I had a lot of friends that went on the pill, but they wouldn't even actually take they they would just skip the sugar pills so they would just they would never you know if it didn't suit them to have their period that week because it was school camp or because they wanted to go swimming in the holidays or whatever it was they would just skip it and deep down there was a part of me that knew that there was something not quite right and that there was a dishonoring of my body going on but um it wasn't a primary concern of mine and you know, being a teenager and keeping up with what was going on in my life as a teenager was more important. Yeah. Yeah. There's a number of things there with what you've shared. And I think the first thing, the, the humiliation, you know, that you experienced or the, the you said that you were mortified. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, that's, that's such a common experience for girls. I know it was for me as well in, and a similar thing, you know, with my dad coming home as well and the congratulations and all of that. But yeah, it's not, we're not really educated from the very beginning or it's not 
imparted to us what actually is really going on with our cycle even even in um and we'll get into sort of more the understanding energetically a little bit later but even in just a physical sense like the the way that the the way that we're taught about our cycle or the way that the women around us have experienced their their cycle it's it's like it's just become there's such a taboo around it obviously there's a an, an enormous sort of weight or shadow or you know it's just it's this thing that you know we just don't talk about and that you know women need to keep hidden and that it's uh, you know in other countries it's it can be even more extreme in the way that they treat women who have their period and that's a whole that's a whole other thing you know and then you come on to talk about how you were prescribed the pill and I gathered there probably wasn't much education about what the pill was actually doing or what are the side effects and how is this going to affect your health and your fertility as well and you know how is it going to affect you as a whole as a whole person as a whole young woman um and that's that's generally typically not the thing that not the thing that we're actually the no, that kind of knowledge is not imparted to us even still today i mean that was 15 years ago or something mm. and it's like it's like it's the menstruation has become very medicalized and it's like you say can be used as the pill can be used as a suppression tool to to not have to have your period you know to to not have to go through the inconvenience of having your period because you know women are not really understanding the the full fullness and the full health benefits of what can actually what our cycle actually supports us with. Yeah, totally. There was I, like, I don't recall there being really any um, education. It was like, like I said, I heard about the pill through my friends that were on it due to skin problems. And then it just, you know, it was a natural progression for me then to, as, as you do as a young woman, you get into your first relationship. And, um, and then when we started becoming sexually active that you know we did that for a while with other forms of contraception and then that was just the next thing and my doctor I don't recall her giving me any sort of deeper understanding my I grew up with a very um what how should I put it holistic um approach like if I had a sore throat or sore ear my mother would like take me to the doctor was sort of a last resort she would prefer to take me to um another another sort of like a a more um herbal medicine practitioner or even to someone like a like a kinesiologist or something like that um but my father was very aligned with the medical model of treating illness and and well well-being however you want to see it and so i i'm surprised thinking back on it now that you know that my mother was okay with it I do recall her kind of giving me a little bit of an insight of, you know, putting anything foreign in your body is, or any kind of chemical in your body is going to have to have consequence eventually. Hmm. Um, you know, from the pill to alcohol, whatever it's going to be. Um, but, but yeah, she was, I don't know, she was relatively laid back about that. And I was, I'm the youngest of two uh, girls. And so my sister had already, been through the process and I find parents always let the second or third one have an easier ride so I just started I just started taking it with little understanding of of what was really going on I I thought that it was a true period I didn't realize um, until after I went off 
the pill and, and had to go through this, this process that I'm sure we'll speak about soon, that I was actually the pill manufactures a period. It doesn't actually give the body a break and lets the body align and then bleed naturally. It, it manufactures that period for you. And like you said um, in your intro, it's, it's not actually the real deal. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't give you any of the benefits of the hormones that, that naturally provide support for many, many functions in the body. It gives you synthetic hormones. So often when people talk about the pill, they talk about estrogen and progesterone, but it's not actually estrogen and progesterone. They've got completely different names and they're, they are synthetically man-made hormones mm-hmm. um, so that they, they just completely suppress the natural hormonal system. So, yeah, yeah that's right. So lo- we'd love to hear now, you know, what happened then for you? Like when you came off the pill, what happened next? Yeah, sure. So um, I went off the pill, you know, and I could have stayed on the pill, but um, there was something started niggling at me and I had ended this, you know, relatively long term for that age relationship for four and a half years or something. And I felt sluggish. I felt lethargic. I was quite overweight. I wasn't quite a lot of physical pain, particularly in the mornings. I would wake with quite a lot of neck and shoulder pain. It was that sort of sense of feeling constantly dehydrated. Mm. And and I just, you know, something just said to me, like I just constantly felt a bit dead inside. There was no vitality in me whatsoever. And so I decided to go off the pill. There was no, I wasn't on it for anything other than contraception. I wasn't being sexually active anymore, so I took I took the plunge and went off the pill, which I remember was quite a big deal. It was like, even if you're not, it was just like a standard thing that you took. And so all my friends thought that was a bit strange. And then... You were, you were how old at this stage? Um, I would have been around 18 at yeah. this stage. Yeah. So I I was... Yeah, I was 18. I was about a hundred, I'm a, quite a tall woman. I was about 174 centimeters and I weighed about 80 kilos. And I had tried a lot of different diets and exercise regimes to try and shift that weight. And then when I went off the pill, I had a, a an awakening to connecting to my body and realizing what was going on. So I went off the pill and, um, then I, I realized that my cycle was very irregular. I had no warning of when my period was going to come. It was, it was, um, sometimes I just saw it as a drought or, um, floods, you know, it was a lucky dip. Some months it would come and other months it wouldn't until I went through a stage where I didn't have a period for about, I think it was nine to 10 months. And at this time, I remember it when it got to nine months, I thought to myself, wow, I could have made a baby in that time. You know, that's how long it takes. For a baby to to get ready to be born, and that you know that length of time for some reason that analogy made me think this isn't okay. You know, like this is a long amount of time. Yeah. So I decided at that point that I needed to go and look into it. Looking back, I probably, I mean, I can't believe I waited that long. Um, I didn't, I didn't seek support, conversations even. Like I just went through life. It was a real. I look back and I think, wow, there must have been quite a disconnect to that level of support and that, that level of knowing around how to how to nurture and support my body. Like it, it is clearly communicating something to me right now, yeah. and I managed to ignore it for ten months. You know, 
So then after a number of referrals and medical tests and chats to doctors, which I found relatively um, the medical profession do a great job in many ways, but for my particular situation, I found it a little bit unsatisfying. I found it, I was a bit, it was never quite the answer. But I did do an ultrasound like you spoke about and they did do a few other tests on me and I had a, a few different symptoms. Um, predominantly it was the um, struggling to lose weight uh, was what a symptom that they diagnosed me with or that they used to diagnose me. I had a little bit of, it wasn't anything huge, but I had a little bit of um, extra hair, which they also say is a diagnosis because the imbalance of the hormones produces, and I guess you could say a slightly unnormal level of hair, either on the face or other parts of the body. I had it on my um, upper thigh and in the, and then the irregular periods along with the ultrasound put me in the, in the category of being diagnosed with PCOS. And at that point, I had a real stop moment. I had never had a diagnosis on anything. I had lived up until that point as a very healthy young woman. And, my, and I remember having, I was in tears when I got this diagnosis. And I, it was because I remember feeling like I had let my body down or my body had let me down. I can't remember what I was so sad about, but there was, it was one of the two and and really, if I feel into it now, it's that I had let my body down and now it had got to this point. So they, they told me that I would struggle, I would forever struggle to lose weight and that fertility may be difficult when it comes to that time in my life. But other than that, I can pretty much get on some medication and I should be fine. I can move through life relatively easily. That it's not going to impact me other than those two things. And, at that point, they tried to prescribe me the contraceptive pill again, but I had just been through, you know, almost a year of getting my body back from taking that pill, and I was really um, hesitant to go back on that, and, and just everything in my being said that is not the answer, and so I did a little bit more digging. They they also offered me some injections. I think it was like three monthly injections into my bum, which as you can imagine sounds pretty awful. So I gave that one a miss as well. And they were, I reckon that whatever they were, I'm not sure what they were, what the um, medicine they were injecting, but it sounded almost more, you know, manufactured. So I, I left that alone and then they, I said to them, I remember sitting with my doctor and saying to her, is this the only thing you can prescribe for me? And just sort of, as a last resort, she said, oh, well, you could go and see a nutritionist and um, maybe see if you could lose some weight. If you could lose some weight, then there's a good chance and you can get your body back into the, your BMI range. There's a good chance things might sort themselves out. Who knows, you know? And So that's what I did. I went and found a nutritionist and I started changing my lifestyle. Yeah, that's great. And and like I said in the beginning, that's, you know, the one of the biggest factors with PCOS, it is pretty much like a lifestyle condition. Um, yep. And and also, you know, the thing with going on the pill when you're a teenager is that there can often be, because your, your cycle is actually communicating all the time and there's, it's like a, it's been described, um, been described as your fifth vital sign. You know, there's, 
there's so much that your reproductive system can is communicating all the time. It's such a, a wealth of knowledge in terms of your your health and communicating to you what's really going on. And so when girls at such a young age are prescribed the pill, it's like whatever was going on before that um, is actually suppressed. And so say, for example, you know, you're talking about your friends who had the skin conditions and that more than likely, you know, when they came off the pill at some point later down the track, they wanted to start a family or for whatever reason, then chances are then that 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 can or the the experience of the skin condition is going to come back probably with a vengeance more more than it, it was previously because it's completely unresolved. And so, you know, it's interesting to to notice well what you know, what was actually going on for you initially and then what was being suppressed and then you could feel the effects of the pill itself and you know when you were coming off the pill you could you notice that you know you were you're feeling all of these things like the unable to lose weight you were feeling sluggish all of those things that you can probably look back in retrospect and go how much of that was was a consequence of of what I was experiencing on the pill and then also bringing deeper understanding now to what's going on or what has been going on in your in your lifestyle how you've been looking after yourself and so what kind of things changed or what kind of lifestyle factors did you look at with your nutritionist and, and what started to make a change? And, and was that the only thing that started to make the change? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I would just feel to also add with what you had just said, Sarah, is that when you go on the pill, my experience was that it, it did kind of disconnect me from my body. But particularly from my my ovaries and so being sexually active as a young woman as a middle-aged woman as an older woman it doesn't really matter your body communicates to you whether you're married for billions of years or whether it's a new relationship or whether you're just having casual sex your body communicates to you and if you're not listening to it and because I had made a choice that allowed me not to listen to it as deeply by being on the pill I I didn't let I, – I was having sex with my with my boyfriend and it wasn't actually really honouring me. I, I, I didn't realise this at the time. And so I feel like it's not just the pill. It's the choice of not listening to your body that then each choice and each time I decided myself and, you know, slept with him because he wanted to or – yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually feel like doing it at that time, but I did it anyway. Every time I did that, it, it would actually, yeah, it would actually add, each one would add and amplify my body having to shout back at me. And so by the time I had not only got off the pill, but at the same time I had just finished this relationship, it was a bit of a, I had, it was a big stop moment for me to look at it. And I feel like if I had, I don't know, I feel like if I had not taken the pill in not only with what it does chemically to the body, but also the energy that I was doing, I was taking it in, which was, um, you'll be right, I'm just getting on with what's in front of me right now, I feel like my body would have would have come off much better. So, you know, I feel there's a, it's a whole other conversation perhaps. around. Um, it's great what you're saying, though. It's great because it's like it's – it is a choice, isn't it? You're desensitizing your body on a whole other level. 
Correct. So that you can you can just get away with you know the the other areas of your life where potentially dishonouring that you would you would probably feel to a greater degree. You would definitely feel to a greater degree. Yeah, correct. And and on that note, during that time that I was on the pill, I would often get cystitis, the urinary tract infection. Um, that I, I would always get it after I had intercourse, and I was I was put on medication to manage that as well. Yeah. Um, so it was a double whammy of my body trying to say, wake up, Jess. And I did my best to ignore it. But anyway, we'll keep moving forward. Yeah. No, I just one more thing on that because it is, um, it is very easy to fall in the trap of blaming the pill. And what you're bringing here is really sort of just absolute gold because it's not necessarily, and it is the actual pill that is involved, but it's, it's the the choices that are made around that, um, and and to initial it to be to be on that in the first place. That is yeah. the underlying factors that need to really be addressed. Exactly, there's a level of responsibility that we always have to make a choice around. You know, that always impacts the choices that we make. And I had my head in the sand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I went with the nutritionist and. Um, Pretty much I upped my exercise. I've never been, um, previously I've never really enjoyed exercise. It's always been a bit of a drag for me. So I made a commitment to up my exercise and I think I was exercising maybe four, four or five days out of this, you know, a seven day week. Um, and I slowly dropped a bit of weight. I, I went on to like, you know, sort of more high protein and a low GI diet was the thing. And I think this low GI diets get often prescribed to PCOS women because it supports the um, hormonal, the hormonal configuration once which you have when you have your simple carbs versus your complex carbs and all of that. And I, I with your insulin, I mean. Yes. Okay. Um, yep. So I did that for a while, but at the same time and I don't think it was necessarily the food that I was eating that was making me shift. It was the care I was taking for myself that supported me um, initially. And at the same time that I was doing this, my I was living at home and my mother and father had just started to cut gluten and dairy as well as alcohol out of their diets. And I was quite resistant to that, but I watched them while I ate my complex carbohydrates and my multigram breads, etc. And my mum, who's, who's also a tall woman, just started to disappear from a weight perspective. She she dropped a lot of weight and, and my dad, there was mainly the alcohol that um, supported him, he also dropped weight. So I, I decided that I would um, – I, so I did my own low GI thing for a couple of months and I did I lost about five kilograms but I still didn't have any periods so the, the main um, source of communication was my periods that's what I wanted to allow my body to come back to and I started to then look into how my mum and dad were living and it was at this time that my mum suggested that I go and have an esoteric breast massage which for an 18 year old girl was like, sorry, what, what did you say? And I just thought she has a loss of a plot because my mother's, you know, done some pretty extreme things in her search to find true health and healing. And I thought, wow, oh, this is another one of mum's crazy fads. 
But um, I went along and I uh, I decided to give it a go. I, I went along and I, I had the EDM. It was a very honoring and beautiful experience. And it allowed me to connect to my breasts in a way that I had never previously connected to. Remember the practitioner asked me, firstly, it's, it's a technique that is, yeah, like I said, very honoring of the woman and I don't know, sometimes when I speak about the technique to people, they have visuals of, you know, women literally like massaging a breast. It's the furthest thing from that. It's predominantly a cardiovascular and lymphatic technique, and it supports the woman to connect not only to her breasts, but to her body as well. And at the time of the treatment, the practitioner said to me, oh, and how do your breasts feel? You know, I think she had her hands on my upper chest, and I was connecting to my heart, and I sort of tuned into my body and I thought to myself, what breasts? Like I just had, they, there was a numbness. I had no connection there whatsoever. And I left there pondering this newfound connection and, you know, went back into, okay, how am I going to live with this new connection? And can I even live with this new connection? It was all a bit of a, a bit of a trip. I, it was, I really had had another stop moment in my life. And uh, a few days later, I got my period. And that's when that's when I was like, okay, this is powerful stuff that I'm working with now. And so, what was yeah. it? What was it in? What was it that you walked away with? Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I think I walked away with a realization that I had quite a lot of shame, and that was the first initial thing that I felt when my mum suggested. I thought, I'm not letting anybody else, especially another woman, see you know being a, being straight. Um, Another woman see my breasts. They 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 aren't beautiful enough for anyone else to see, you know. And I I had a quite a lot of shame around my body and my breasts that I realized. And I also connected to my the lymphatics the, the, down the, the side of my torso and realized that I was in quite a lot of physical pain through there if I um, let myself drop into my body that there was a hardness and a protection around there. So I guess it, it just gave me a new recap, a, a new, I like a review of my connection to my body. And this was the first time I had ever had, you know, my mother's a psychotherapist and a somatic psychotherapist at that. And so she's always raised us with some sort of sense of bringing the body into it, into communicating to us. But as a teenager, you tend to reject whatever your mother offers you. So I, I had, this was the first time that I had allowed my body to communicate to me. And I think that's what I was walking away with was this both the, there was a beauty in it and there was a deep grief because it wasn't feeling too great. I can assure you, Sarah. Yeah. Cause, cause what you're feeling there is a combination of probably, you know, a long time of, of not feeling, you know, at ease or comfortable or, you know, let alone honoring of your body. Yeah, correct. And that was what started to happen um, for me after that. The uh, the breast massage was that I I just the self love became and self care became my absolute commitment, my total focus. And I was yeah, I just that was it. I was I was on I was on board around around those those qualities of my life. So, you know, how I dress myself, how I, and I had relatively good self-care in some ways, but I, there were also areas 
where I would do it from a space of how it looked, not from a space of how it felt. And so that's that was the difference for me. It was doing self-care as a way to stay connected to my body and then integrate the connection through the self-care and, and vice versa. And, yeah, it was through very simple things, how I showered, how I made my bed, how I put myself to sleep, how I prepared my lunch to go to work with, not putting myself in situations where I was starving and wanted to go and have, you know, a pita bread at lunchtime, just always having a freshly made salad in my bag so that I, you know, just those sorts of things were, they were new markers for me from where, from where I was living. Yeah. So that was, that was kind of it. I, I started, I got my period a few days after and it had been roughly about 16 months by then that I had been ignoring and then starting to prepare my body again. And then, yeah, throughout the next 12 months, my periods definitely weren't regular, but they were more, much more frequent. They were coming. They were coming every couple of months. So I realized the, that between my own connection and self-care, the connection to my body, how this then was um, actioned through self-care in my day and building that into my rhythm, and then as well as the support of the practitioners and the esoteric modalities, my body started to communicate again and I started to have periods more and more, more regularly. Yeah, so so what you're saying with the modalities that you experience through the esoteric breast massage, you're sharing with us that you've experienced, uh, you're starting to, you were starting to experience a, a deeper connection to the qualities in your body, especially the qualities, the deeper qualities that were reflecting you as a woman. Would that be correct? Yeah, that's definitely correct. And the choices that I make to either honor or I guess dishonor them. Yeah. Yeah. And often, I mean, we can, we can, like you said, you can live life and be going through the motions and not really realize that there are these deeper qualities that we have within us unless we actually experience, uh, experience them, unless we actually feel what it feels like and have a marker of going, Oh, actually, hang on a minute. How far away from this have I been living? I remember when I initially started doing the sessions, connecting to myself in that it was so delicious on the table that I thought to myself, wow, imagine if this could be my every day. And that's what I started to allow myself to feel and to, to choose. And it's, you know, it's not a, it's not an everyday thing, especially straight away. And there's always space to deepen, but um, it's definitely possible. And the space that I was living in prior to being diagnosed with PCOS, the trajectory that I was on was the first, was so far away from from where I am today. I, I'm almost certain I would have been diagnosed with diabetes too, mm. type two, um, because of the way that I was eating and the disregard that I was in. Which is what um, PCOS is, is a precursor for, for diabetes. So yeah. Correct. And, and they, they only told me that towards when I had started the, the choice to, to move into a lifestyle change. They, they didn't actually mention that to me at the big, when I first got diagnosed, which I, I find a bit bizarre looking back at now. And I definitely, you know, who knows? I probably would have had problems with fertility and, and all of, the complications that they had suggested to me because I had naturally made the choice, the lifestyle choices. So I had, for anyone who's been diagnosed with PCOS, I 
definitely, definitely recommend coming back to looking at how you're living, your lifestyle choices, and the, the, the how you're making those choices and the level of connection and, and honoring that you have with your body. Because when it, come, it comes back to self-care, self-love, and building those foundations so that your body can then respond to those loving choices. Yeah, that's very well said. And that was what I was going to ask you, like what what would be the advice that you would give to women with PCOS? Um, and that's great because often we can get caught in the physical side of things. And what your experience shows us is that it's not just the physical. You actually have to look a little bit more, or not a little bit, probably a lot more deeper than that and look at the quality of how you're, how you're living, how you're taking care of yourself. Yeah, definitely. And so can you can you give us just a, a picture of what life looks like today? What do your cycles look like today? And that all started happening, well, it really started back when you were 15, really, probably even earlier. But um, yeah. yeah, what does it look like today? So um, my cycles today, I'll just, I'll just go, I'll tell you everything. <laughs> they come um, on the dot pretty much uh, within usually 28 to 30 days. So for me, that is remarkable. Like I'm totally aware of the, usually the day of or the day before. Um, I get it usually as I can feel in my body. There's a, it's a very slight, I don't know, strain, I guess, where I can feel it's actually, it's my, it's physically, I can feel the process of the egg moving. And so that's an indication to me. Okay. Um, I get really no premenstrual symptoms growing up in a family with an older sister and a mother that I've seen some pretty hideous premenstrual symptoms <laughs> and I, I don't get those. Uh, I get sometimes a small headache, which is a great opportunity for me to remind myself that it's time to be, to really go gently. And if I need to rest, I definitely now take time to rest wherever possible sometimes you're at work and it's a bit trickier but even then you know you just let yourself rest in whatever you're doing it doesn't there doesn't need to be any hardness or um drive and uh, my periods usually last for about three days the first day there's quite um, a heavy flow and then the, the next two days it just sort of trickles out and there's hardly any any blood left to 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 manage so it's like they're so it just feels so simple from a actual physical point of view whereas you know when I when my periods were all over the place sometimes it, it would be quite a ordeal for me to manage them they were painful they were heavy I couldn't always go places and do things it was quite stressful um, especially being a younger woman, you know, the leaking or any of those sorts of complications are just like social suicide. So it was, it was always very stressful. And, um, now there's a real simplicity, but I think the biggest thing, you know, I'm, I've, I'm the same height, but I'm 20 kilos lighter. I weigh around 60 kilos, depending on the week. <laughs> and I have a beautiful and very deep connection with my body and even with my ovaries, with my breasts. I'm very honoring of, of what they offer me, um, both in communication of confirmations and of where I need to go deeper in my life. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the vitality that I live with, I'm human. I have days where it feels a bit much sometimes or where I, you know, I, I'll make a, a choice that's not always the most supportive. 
but nine times out of ten, things are, are pretty amazing. And uh, I have a body that is able to support me to deepen and, and respond to all the beauty and vitality that's on offer. Beautiful. And the beautiful thing is that, you know, when you've got that connection to that, the instant sort of feedback from your body, because that's what, you know, if, if things sort of slip up and, and don't sort of go in the way that is the most supportive, you've got that feedback that you're actually listening to, which which is often not the case for many women. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. I just I just think like we have we have an antenna, you know, we walk we walk it's it is it is what we are. We are an antenna. And whether the antenna is communicating things from what we're up to or what's going on around us and then how that impacts us it's just it's such an offering for us to um connect to it and then you know respond how it is needed and it makes life not only is it supportive and makes life um you know your well-being and your health potentially more vital but it makes life more interesting you know it's Mm -hmm. like i just i imagine i think of my former self and where i would be today and the the level of um, disconnection and putting up with that I, you know, that I would have had, not to mention the physical sluggishness, the feeling, feelings of being overweight and the, the constant strain that my body was on trying to do all the amazing magical systems that it does every day for us. You know, I just, it almost, I almost look back at my former self and go, wow. I mean, I was uneducated, but there's also an arrogance in that because when you start to, when you get a stop moment like I had with this diagnosis and there's much more severe stop moments that I'm sure many people listening have had too, you realize that your body is just amazing. It works so hard for us. The, the symptom, the systems that it does is throughout the day and how each part of the body works seamlessly with the other part. And then we go, and make choices that are dishonoring of it. And I, I just sort of think to myself, wow, the arrogant, how, how, how can we do such a thing, you know? Yeah, it's so true. And then the, the information might be lacking and the, like the education might be lacking, like you said, but our bodies have always been there and they always will be there. And, you know, our cycle is always accurate. Like it's always accurate according to how we're, we're living. There's no fault in that at all. Like it's always going to be reflecting what we need to be seeing to adjust and according to, um, you know, what we're, what, what we're, how we're living, the quality of how we're living. Yeah, precisely. It's amazing. It's very beautiful to be connected to. And, um, I feel very, um, appreciative of the choices that I've made, of the people that I've, come across to support me to make those choices and of um yeah of how I am able to live today because life for you feels like just from the the difference between how you were before and how you are now is just that before feels like a struggle and now this just feels like an enormous weight has lifted and that there's there's just no no struggle whatsoever yeah, totally. There's a flow in my life today that I I didn't really I've always been it's different. I've always been organized and I've always had an attention to detail, but there's been a struggle like you said and a, a level of drive in that um whereas now I am able to be in a flow and um it's it's you know, it's just there's nothing quite like it. And it's it just it trickles out to everything, the way I work and you know, all the, my clients, every, all the parts of my life. 
And I think as a woman, our periods offer us so much information and um, it's something to truly honour. And, and if your periods are um, giving you some information that's maybe a little bit harder to look at, then get the support of a practitioner or of a professional and don't let anybody sort of sway you. If if you have um, a sense that something is needed and you go to a particular practitioner, whether they're um, you know, a holistic practitioner or whether they're a traditional uh, medical practitioner, if they if you don't feel like that practitioner is actually connecting with you and supporting the specific thing that you know is niggling at you, then keep looking. Um, you know, I could have easily just gone back on the pill and where would I have, where would I be today then? Thanks, Jess, very much for, for coming on the show. It's been amazing and you've given myself and the listeners some incredible insight into polycystic ovarian syndrome and as well, you know, how you experience your experience of living as a woman, which has been incredibly invaluable. No worries, Sarah. Thank you for having me. It's been great to share. You're listening to Follow Your Flow podcast with Sarah Harris. Subscribe on iTunes, follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and get in touch. All details on www.followyourflow.com.au slash podcast.